This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Crushing sanctions, or are they? Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. Crushing is the term being used by the Biden administration about a new round of over 500 sanctions against Russia, in part to thwart Russia's military might and partly to punish Vladimir Putin for the death of his chief rival, Alexei Navalny, in prison. CBS's Weijia Zhang. They will target individuals connected to Navalny's imprisonment and what the White House calls Russia's brutal and illegal war in Ukraine. One goal of the sanction is to cripple Russia's military. But how effective have U.S. sanctions against Russia really been? Not very, says retired General Jack Keane. It's sort of an open secret that our sanctions haven't been nearly as effective as they were expected to be and as we announced them to be. This administration has had an open valve here in not being as effective as they should be. New York Senator Chuck Schumer is leading a congressional delegation to Ukraine to show support for Ukraine aid that's still stuck on Capitol Hill. Central New York Congressman Brandon Williams. The Ukrainians have, have fought very valiantly. So I support um, aid to military aid to Ukraine, uh, particularly with accountability as to where all of that money goes. The war over Ukraine and over dollars has also again devolved into a war of words between President Biden and Vladimir Putin, with Biden making another off-color remark about the Russian leader responded Putin through a translator. Listen, we talked not long ago, and you asked who would be preferred as future president of the United States. I said that we would work with any president, but I suppose that for us, for Russia, Biden is more preferable. Elsewhere this day, four men have been arrested in connection with a ship intercepted by the U.S. Navy in the Arabian Sea that cost two Navy SEALs their lives. They are not charged with causing the murder of those two Navy SEALs or the deaths of those two Navy SEALs. They are charged with smuggling arms and lying about it once they were caught. CBS Pentagon correspondent David Martin. Israel's prime minister has presented a plan for a post-war Gaza. Including local officials in charge of public order, but no word on who they would be, while Israel maintains security control over the Gaza Strip. CBS's Holly Williams. For the first time in over a half century, America is back on the moon. This was a nail-biter, but we are on the, sa- on the surface, and we are transmitting, and uh, welcome to the moon. The head of Intuitive Machines relieved his company's spacecraft made it to the moon, the first U.S. spacecraft to do so since 1972. New York physics professor Michio Kaku says Odysseus landed near the lunar South Pole looking for ice. We think that the moon could become a refueling station for astronauts because we think there's enough ice crystals left over from these cometary impacts. This is potentially a game changer. He says lunar water could eventually help space travelers make it to Mars. Around this time yesterday, tens of thousands of AT&T cell customers were wondering what happened to their service. Today, so is the federal government. The FBI is in contact with AT&T and the FCC is actively investigating. The National Security Council says there's no reason to think that this was a cybersecurity incident. 
Madison County New York Director of Emergency Management Dan DeGeer tells WSTM that 911 disruptions were especially concerning. Getting to 911, that's obviously a, a big deal. If you don't know when your emergency is going to happen, where you're going to have it. So, uh, you know, as, as people have transitioned away from landline phones and more cell phones, this is going to probably be a larger issue going forward. AT&T says there's no indication the outage was the result of any sort of cyber attack. Next to politics aplenty, where the focus is on tomorrow's Republican presidential primary in South Carolina, where it's that state's former governor, Nikki Haley, versus prohibitive favorite, former president, Donald Trump. The pair got in their final licks at each other this week. She's hurting the party, but I don't care. Let her run, because think of it, if she's not running, they're not talking about us. We don't anoint kings in America. We have elections. South Carolinians deserve the right to vote. This Republican voter's still torn. Haley goes back for me because I have family who grew up with her, we're friends with her. But at the same time, I mean, the things that Trump was doing for the country was pretty incredible. Haley says she's in it at least until Super Tuesday, but political expert Justin Vaughn says he's heard that song before. Certainly Governor Haley's been saying that she's in the race for the long haul, and really every presidential candidate says that until they're not. Super Tuesday comes March 5th, eight months after a prominent women's sports advocate barricaded herself in a college room for her own safety. Police in California have concluded the investigation into the threats and no charges were filed. Riley Gaines says she was hit twice by a man last April after an interrupted speech at a college campus. She says if the roles had been reversed, Christian perpetrators would have been arrested. Had this been flipped, had a bunch of conservative students been protesting a liberal speaker on campus. But that's not happening. We're not seeing that on college campuses. This violence is only going one way. Gaines says fairness and safety for female athletes is a justice issue for sports from grade school all the way to the pros. All right, still to come on the noon report, the House Speaker pays a call on upstate New York and gets an earful. Fire ravages a central Pennsylvania apartment complex and our latest edition of Capital Connection coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams tracking a polar punch that'll be landed tonight. Temperatures will tumble heading into the start of the weekend. I'll have the specific forecast coming up in 10. Thank you very much, Kevin. Now checking the stories, making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. House Speaker Mike Johnson made a House call in upstate New York yesterday, backing various fellow Republicans in their campaign bids. One of his stops was in Binghamton, where he met with local law enforcement. We're counting on you to be on the front lines, and, and it's not an easy time to do it. We know that. We want to try to help from Washington from the federal perspective in every way we can support law enforcement. That's what my party represents. That's what we represent. Among the upstate candidates, John and attempted to bolster were Congressman Mark Molinaro and Brandon Williams. Johnson didn't get the warmest welcome in Binghamton, though, yesterday for the Republican statewide nominating convention. Lots of protesters. Within earshot, Rovo Root is a community organizer. Molinaro is a rubber stamp for this guy. He invites him in our backyard here in Binghamton. It's unacceptable. And Molinaro shows with his votes he's not for the people of the 19th district. Rovo says Democrats in New York are angry that Republicans chose the border over the war in Ukraine. Republicans are botching all of these issues. And it's why we're here to say enough's enough, people need to stand up, and this is what democracy looks like. Republican Molinaro says their voices were heard and he passed their concerns along to Johnson. And they asked me very specifically, well, will you tell the speaker? As soon as the speaker got here, I expressed to him again, as he knew coming in, we have a robust, vibrant uh, Ukrainian community here in this part of the district. In the car ride over, I said to him, we've got to find ourselves uh, closer to commonality. The U.S. House is within six seats of slipping back into Democratic control ahead of the general election in November. And that could be impacted by new congressional district lines in New York State, now up for approval or 
or rejection by the state legislature. Here's Family Life's Jeremy Miller. Lawmakers have left themselves a short window to approve the lines for the 2024 elections. Petitioning for primary starts Tuesday, and the boundaries need to be in place by then. Democrats can adopt the maps approved by the Bipartisan Redistricting Commission, which largely leaves the current maps intact, or draw their own and likely start another court battle. The legislature must vote on the commission's maps under the state constitution and Republicans support adopting them, but Democratic Party leaders are expressing doubts. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. A New York state senator wants to see a ban on hospitals suing patients for unpaid bills. It's a personal issue for state senator Rachel May, whose husband Frank faced mounting medical bills before he died. And it wasn't too long before he died that he said to me he hoped he would die before he hit the limit. Not a conversation you ever want to have with a loved one. Linda Caberna's husband faced a similar situation before he passed away last September. I couldn't understand why they would sue a terminally ill man and neither could he. We were walking up the stairs and we saw papers in front of our door and I automatically knew what it was. Upstate Hospital was suing him for $10,699. A USA Today reports as 17 New York hospitals and health systems sued 1,600 patients, collecting $9 million in medical debts since 2022. Healthcare workers rallied across the state yesterday during what was called a coordinated speak out. That included LPN Melia Griffin at Rochester's Pearl Nursing Center, who told WROC. Residents we take care of deserve to have adequate care and supplies, which is struggle sometimes because of the financial hardships nursing homes face in this industry. So yes, Governor Hochul, we are calling on you to fully fund Medicaid for the most vulnerable people in our community. New York nursing home managers and employees are concerned about deep cuts and a Medicaid reimbursement freeze in Governor Kathy Hochul's proposed budget. To Pennsylvania now, where the fire chief in Wilkes-Barre is speaking out about a blaze that displaced 145 seniors in an apartment complex last week. 19 were taken to the hospital. When they got to that second floor, uh, they were met with extreme heat and a fire where you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Chief Jay Delaney says it was one of the most difficult blazes he's responded to in his career. It started because of careless smoking on the second floor. They had opened up every single door. We couldn't take a chance. Even if we thought they were out, if there was a door that was locked, that door had to been open and we had to make sure somebody wasn't in there. Tom Haggerty was trapped on a floor above the fire. He said he's grateful for the first responders who put their lives on the line to save his. They're my heroes. I'm here because of those guys. Because they had to come and get me. We think we got the job done for them that night, and it, it's really nice for them to, to recognize that our system worked. Thankfully, not a single life lost in that high-rise fire. A Pennsylvania State Senate Education Committee has approved a new way to teach kids how to read after almost half of PA students were not scoring proficient on reading tests. Here's Republican Pennsylvania Senator Ryan Allman. If we're going to make a significant investment in K-12 education, and I think we will, we have to get this right. We have to ensure that our kids are reading proficiently by, by grade three, and the data tell, we know it works. Structured literacy, phonics, the science of reading, it does in fact work. The bill would create a screening process to find struggling readers and prevent kids from falling behind. That bill now moves to the full Senate for consideration. It's fish stocking season in Pennsylvania. The Fish and Boat Commission wants you to dump fish into the lakes and rivers right along with them. Typically, the officers are busy coordinating how many fish go where and traffic control. And the more volunteers we have to help fish carry fish, the better off we are. 
Lily Lake was the first lake in the state to get stocked yesterday in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. David Setzinger of West Wyoming brought his kids, Austin and Levi, to toss buckets of trout into the lake. I grew up fishing. My dad took me all the time. And, you know, when we first started taking Austin, we'd uh, go with his grandfather. And, um, yeah, we really enjoy it and try to do it every year. Pennsylvania stocks 3.2 million adult trout in 697 streams and 129 lakes before angling season begins. And finally, staying with the outdoor theme, first the farm show, then the gun show. This week, an RV super show at the farm complex in Harrisburg. This reporter from WNEP got a sneak peek at some of the fun toys. This thing is Definitely, I think, bigger than my apartment. <laughs> Hundreds of recreational vehicles are parked across one million square feet of space. The show has already hit record attendance. Rob Lynch is president of the show and explains why. Anything you think about in the country, it's about freedom. It's about just getting in your vehicle and just going and having a good time on your terms, stopping on your terms, eating where you want, you know, staying over the night where you want. It's, it's just an amazing lifestyle. The show runs today through Sunday. And speaking of recreation, that brings us to a check of sports. We start with the latest where basketball and boxing overlapped. Detroit Pistons big man Isaiah Stewart has been suspended three games by the NBA following an altercation in Phoenix last week. Stewart punched Suns forward Drew Eubanks before last Wednesday's game. Prosecutors have dropped the criminal charges. Meanwhile, on the hardwood, Steph Curry hit for 32 against the Lakers and hit another NBA milestone. and the Warriors beat LA 128 to 110 on TNT. He is now the 41st player to record 6,000 career assists. Roster moves in the big leagues. The Marlins bring on two-time All-Star shortstop Tim Anderson. After eight years with the White Sox, Anderson now has a one-year $5 million deal to head to Florida. The Pittsburgh Pirates have reached an extension with their ace pitcher. ESPN reports the team agreed on Thursday to a five-year, $77 million contract with Mitch Keller. Keller gets $7.5 million this season. That doubles to $15 million starting next year. The lack of modesty in new Major League Baseball uniforms still drawing criticism. The Players Association is talking to its members to gather feedback on the controversy of see-through pants. They're hoping changes can be made by opening day. The Nike-generated Fanatics-produced uniforms were used last year at the All-Star Game. Kentucky lost a huge basketball game but wins $100,000 after fans stormed the court following LSU's upset win over Kentucky on Wednesday. The SEC is fining LSU $100,000. The NASCAR Cup Series rolls into Atlanta for week two of the young season. Will Byron comes off his win under caution at Daytona. From the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Greg Gillespie. All right, thank you, Greg. Still to come on the Noon Report, this week's edition of Capital Connection. 
Hi, Breakpoint listeners. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard me mention the Colson Fellows Program. As we say often at the Colson Center, our faith in Christ is personal, but it's never private. Our faith in Christ has public implications for how we live as husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, employees and employers, citizens of our country, and as servants to the body of Christ. If you'd like to grow in your ability to see how the gospel affects all of life, you should explore the Colson Fellows Program. It is well worth your time. With both in-person and virtual format options, you can even select a format that works with your lifestyle. Ready to learn more? Visit colsonfellows.org to explore the program and apply. That's colsonfellows.org. Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In sci-fi and horror movies, the mad scientist rarely begins as a villain. From Dr. Frankenstein to Spider-Man's Doc Ock, they're often the victims of a combination of good intentions, unstoppable curiosity, and more than a little hubris. Their plight is as familiar in real life as on screen, most recently with artificial intelligence. According to the authors of the Techno-Optimist Manifesto, who heavily borrowed from fantasy genre language to predict a high-tech future, quote, we believe artificial intelligence is our alchemy, our philosophy for stone. We're literally making sand think. We believe any deceleration of AI will cost lives. Deaths that were preventable by the AI that was prevented from existing is a form of murder, end quote. Ray Kurzweil is a scientist and a futurist who for years now has been predicting the potential of higher tech. It's not just a helpful set of tools for humans to use, but as essential to post-human evolution. By hitching our humanity to artificial intelligence, something that Kurzweil calls the singularity, he prophesized a new age. And he says, quote, this singularity isn't far off. I set the date for the singularity representing a profound and disruptive transformation in human capability as 2045. The non-biological intelligence created in that year will be one billion times more powerful than all human intelligence today, end quote. Or Kurzweil sees the singularity as more than just a possibility. He thinks it's a near-absolute inevitability that human intelligence will be equaled, surpassed, and then eventually merged with our better computerized tools. Though many predictions about AI are still more science fiction than fact, it's advancing faster than many expected. The only way forward in these possible futures is by having a clear-eyed perspective on human exceptionalism and human fallenness. We have to know the implications of both being created in the image of God and being an heir of Adam's sin. The next Breakpoint Forum will bring some of that kind of clarity to these issues relating to artificial intelligence. It's appropriately entitled The Perils and Promises of Artificial Intelligence. Presenting will be Abdu Murray, founder and apologist from Embrace the Truth, and Brian Johnson, an advisor in cybersecurity and emerging technologies. Both of these men have done significant work in the area of artificial intelligence and will bring a distinctly Christian vision to bear on the groundbreaking advances that we are seeing. Breakpoint Forums are always free online events. And you can sign up to access the video afterwards if you're not able to make it live. This one will be held February the 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And for a chance to hear from these experts and to ask your questions about artificial intelligence live to them, just go to breakpoint.org forum. That's breakpoint.org forum. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Padgett. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. All right, now we check in with meteorologist Kevin Williams. 
Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for today through the afternoon, mostly cloudy. It'll be a brief shower sprinkle in spots. It'll be turning colder, a couple of flurries late in western New York as temperatures fall from the 40s into the 30s. And much colder tonight and tomorrow with lake flurries, otherwise partly cloudy skies. Low temps tonight, teens to near 20. High temperatures tomorrow in the low to mid-20s. All right, sounds good, Kevin. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Gentlemen, lots on our plate. Uh, let's dig right in. Jason, we'll start with you. The New York State Republican Convention uh, met in Binghamton this week. I think it's the first time in about uh, 20 years they've held their nominating convention there in the parlor city, hosting that uh, political pep rally. Um, what do you think uh, when it comes to Republican chances in 2024? Uh, is this the year that they could uh, threaten that one party rule in Albany, Jason? Well, I think the goal there is to try to break the Democratic supermajority. It's unlikely that they're going to take the state house. It would take uh, quite a few seats to make that happen. But I think their goal will be to break the Democratic supermajority. And again, the governor isn't up this year, so they're really focused on state legislative seats and congressional seats across the Empire State. Well, I know, Michael, polls this time of the year don't really mean much, but uh, the latest ABC 27 Emerson College poll has uh, Senator Bob Casey up by 10 points over Dave McCormick. It's still early in the game. What does McCormick need to do to make this race competitive? Yeah, this race is going to definitely tighten up as we approach November. I think the big issue in this race is name recognition. The Casey name has been known in Pennsylvania for decades from his father, who was governor, and then uh, now the senior senator here in Pennsylvania, Robert Casey Jr., a shadow of his father. But McCormick has a lot of money behind him, and there's no real primary opponent or anything that he has to worry about. So I think it is definitely going to tighten as we approach the fall. Gotcha. Jason, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk since the end of Independent Redistricting Commission came out with a new look congressional map. Still got to be uh, signed off on by the state legislature. But what do you think of the map that they came up with? Well, I think the map doesn't have a lot of change from what was originally proposed, and that's probably going to be problematic uh, for the state legislature. I think they may very well reject these maps, and then I think we're going to be really behind the eight ball, and it's going to be a fight to see what maps come out in the future. Michael, the Shapiro budget calling for deep cuts to cyber charter schools, while public schools would be in for an economic windfall if that budget is adopted as is. Is that fair to the cyber charters? I know they've been under a lot of scrutiny in Pennsylvania. I don't think it is fair. You know, the governor has proposed increasing basic education funding. That means the brick-and-mortar public schools by $1.1 billion, but is looking to significantly cut the amount of money that is going to cyber charter schools. Now, cyber charter schools have become immensely popular across Pennsylvania, especially since COVID. Uh, But because it's not brick-and-mortar schools and because some of them are not part of the teachers' union, the opposition continues against these cyber charter schools and these cutbacks, I don't think are fair for 
for those families uh, that are getting a great education for their children in those schools. Jason, February is Black History Month. Recently, the governor commissioned the Slave Reparations Task Force. I know a number of other states are doing this. Where do things stand with that uh, task force in New York? Well, with February being Black History Month, I expect there will be a splash that by this time next week, before the end of the month, uh, the governor and the legislators will announce their appointees to their reparations committee here in the Empire State. Where it goes from there remains to be seen, but keep an eye on California and New York as what they do in reparations will probably be indicative of what happens in some other places as well. Michael, this month there was a story out of the Philadelphia area, a school district voting to rescind its bathroom, a locker room policy for a transgender student. What was the basis for this about face, and is there any legal recourse for concerned parents and students? Yeah, that's a school district in Montgomery County called the Perky Omen Valley School District. And basically, newly elected school board there decided to overturn the policy that had been previously enacted, the common sense policy protecting the privacy of students in private spaces like locker rooms and uh, bathrooms. I think the motivation for the school board to do that is just simply the pressure from the woke culture, from uh, the teacher unions, from ACLU and others that are telling them they have to do that. They don't have to do that. As far as legal recourse, there's not much that can be done in the courts right now because of an adverse ruling from the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. But there is a recourse, which is for students who are concerned about this to speak up and the parents to speak up as well, to go to school board meetings and perhaps eventually replace the school board members who made this bad decision. Jason, New York continues to lead the nation when it comes to out-migration. No surprise there. Governor Hochul says the main reason for this is the cost of housing. So she has this plan to construct some 800,000 new housing units over the next decade. I know you've got some serious concerns with that. Is this the year that that happens? I know she's real adamant about that. Well, the governor is trying a different approach this year. Uh, Rather than using the stick, she's using the carrot. And that was quite literal as she actually had a recent event at the uh, state capitol where they brought out carrots for everyone to have as, as indicative of the fact that she was trying a different approach. This is incentivizing localities trying to increase housing. While some of the issue is good, we do want to work on housing uh, here. I am afraid that the increased incentive from the state may be too much for some localities to resist, and that may not be in the best interest of some of the residents in those locations. Well, there was a report out, Michael, Pennsylvania is sitting on a huge budget surplus. The uh, Pennsylvania legislature apparently has some $300 million in reserve funds. This is taxpayer money uh, that they're sitting on. Uh, What should be done with that money, Michael? Well, my initial reaction was I think they could all go to Disney World and give us all a break from the crazy ideas that they're generating out of the Capitol. But uh, in all seriousness, that is kind of excessive. This is not a rainy day fund for the government, but specifically for the legislature. They have this pile of money to be able to keep operating if there's a budget stalemate that happens. This has happened in the past with Governor Rendell, for example, when he forced casino gambling on our state. He withheld the budget all the way to Christmas time, and the legislature legislature ran out of money, basically, to pay the staffers and all of those sorts of things. So they built up this nest egg to be able to withstand a budget standoff. But I still think $300 million is quite excessive. Yeah, it's never a good idea to leave a lot of money like that in the hands of lawmakers. Yeah. They can find ways to spend it. We probably don't want them to. Um, yeah. Jason, the 2024 Legislative Day, Day of Action, is quickly approaching. I know Family Life is honored to partner with you on 
on that event. It's great to have it back in person as well. Uh, this year, March 12th, it's a Tuesday. What can New Yorkers expect when they show up at that event? Yeah, it's going to be a terrific day. We have a number of uh, speakers coming in. We have Pastor Michael Cervello, who uh, is from Redeemer in Utica. He'll be sharing a powerful pro-life message and sharing his personal testimony in that regard. Uh, we're also looking forward to having a parents' rights panel as we're looking at not only what's happening in education in New York, but looking toward that uh, so-called Equal Rights Amendment that is coming to the November ballot this year. And then we're also going to have a speaker on assisted suicide as that battle is heating up in Albany and some public witness and demonstration uh, with some of the values we care about. So it's important that New Yorkers show up and legislators see that we're engaged. And there's no cost to attend, but you still need to register, right? Yeah, we're encouraging registration so we can prepare, but no cost to attend. Awesome. Well, hey, Michael, Primary Day is fast approaching April 23rd. And there, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, hear these stories of maybe legislation that's a, a solution in search of a problem. I don't know if this would uh, fit under that bill, but a PA Democrat apparently wants to ban firearms at polling stations in Pennsylvania. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it may be a solution in search of a problem, but there are about 10 states, including Texas, South Carolina, and Florida, that do prohibit guns at polling places. Uh, the representative that's promoting this or, or proposing this, Tim Brennan, is a Democrat from Bucks County. He thinks it's needed to protect the poll workers, the volunteers that are working at the polling places. And there was an incident in Harrisburg uh, last year where a man showed up with some guns because he thought somebody had stolen his wallet. He was interdicted by police, and so that didn't go anywhere. And people might remember remember back um, around 2008 or so, what was called the New Black Panther Party had uh, people standing outside of polling places that seemed to be inducing voter intimidation, and the Justice Department looked into that. Whether or not it's needed here in Pennsylvania, though, I'm not really sure. All right. Well, hey, that'll have to do it this week. We are out of time, but get registered for Legislative Day 2024 in New York. Jason, where can folks go online to do that? NewYorkFamilies.org. And read all about how the Shapiro budget is impacting cyber charter schools this year. Michael, what's your website, sir? PAFamily.org. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Capital Connection airs Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Just ahead, the heroic tale of a teen and trouble on the tracks. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. We're tracking a cold front dropping down from eastern Canada. Going to send our temperatures tumbling tonight and tomorrow, but only briefly. The Arctic cold will not hold and temperatures will rebound again next week. Mostly cloudy this afternoon with a brief shower or flurry as temperatures fall into the 30s. Much colder tonight and tomorrow with lake flurries, otherwise partly cloudy skies. Low temps tonight, teens to near 20. High temperatures tomorrow in the low to mid-20s. On Sunday, early sunshine, then turning cloudy with high temperatures rebounding to near 40. Could be a little rain and snow Sunday night. Very good, Kevin. Thank you much. Finally at noon, the inspiring story of 18-year-old Lily Baker of Tennessee, who had just driven across railroad tracks when she noticed an elderly woman having trouble trying to cross those tracks in her wheelchair. Without hesitation, Lily got out and went to help. Then her simple act of kindness became something much bigger. 
It's a near-death experience, and I've never really been that close to death. And then all of a sudden, you know, bam, there's the train. He was honking his horn, and the lights started flashing. I was like, oh, no, we got to go now. She grabs her and gets her out of the way and, and saves her life, but almost loses her own. The train come barreling. Wild, <laughs> wild. You know, it hits home like it was that close. He told me that I was 18 inches away from getting hit by the train. I almost started crying. But Lily says despite the heroic brush with death, she'd do it again in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, definitely. Bravery comes in all shapes and sizes. You don't have to be a 6'5 guy that's muscled up to get out and do something. This is a little, small, young woman, and she done what most people wouldn't do. And perhaps most impressively, Lily says she's actually grateful to the woman whose life she saved by almost giving up her own. She don't have to be thankful for me because I'm grateful for her. Life's been a little dark, but it's like the sun over there. It's golden. And Lily says that day at the tracks convinced her to keep helping others. She now plans to study and become a nurse. And that's the world we live in for Friday, February 23rd, 2024. As always, we thank you for listening. Have a blessed weekend. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News Podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.